Welcome, everyone, to our post-A-Day edition of BAMS Radio. Certainly a lot to talk about. Uh, as expected, Alabama, you know, was very active on the recruiting front, starting with Dazelon Worsham, the 2020 wide receiver from Hewitt Trustville High School who committed to Alabama. But it's always great to be with you guys tonight on the eve of the NFL draft on this April 25th. I'm your host, Drew Arman, as always, with Thomas Watts, my co-host, and producer extraordinaire behind the curtain. He, I'm sure you'll have some thoughts today. And our third amigo, William Redfish Barger, from uh, 1989 to 1992, a national champion uh, with the Alabama Crimson Tide, and actually 93, but he was a part of that 1992 national championship team, and he's always with us also on BAMS Radio. Uh, good evening, guys. I mean, it's been a very interesting post-A Day uh, always great to speak with both of you, but first, William, I guess I'll get your thoughts. Uh, obviously, Mac Jones uh, played very well. He and Joseph Belovis, MVP, uh, I, you know, none of us picked uh, those two guys uh, on our show last week to be the MVP of this game. It ended up being a passing scrimmage. Shouldn't have been surprised by that, uh, but once again, Jalen Hurts struggles somewhat throwing the football. Mac Jones seizes an opportunity and now going to be an interesting next, uh, you know, several weeks to a few months before fall camp for Alabama. Well, Drew, I'll tell you this. Um, you know, I've said this about uh, Mac Jones since he's been on campus. And, you know, I think last year uh, for A-Day was kind of a little bit too big of a moment for him. But what you saw Saturday from Mac Jones and, you know, We'll get into talking about, um, you know, what it was with, you know, the second-team offense versus the second-team defense. Obviously, that was a mismatch. You know, something that concerns me um, was, you know, that Mac Jones did what he did um, versus the second-team defense um, without a single receiver, in my opinion, that will be a part of, you know, the game plan for uh, Louisville. Um, I I was really proud of Mac Jones because every scrimmage I've seen that kid in, um, he's done exactly what you saw Saturday. Um, I thought he did it before last A-Day game, but – Maybe that moment was a little bit too big for him, but he he has done that same performance at every scrimmage I've seen him in, and you know I was glad to see him finally produce it um, last Saturday, but he's done it over and over again, and I, I think you've got you know Drew I, I'm not trying to add drama to what's really you know going on, you know, behind the scenes with teams, but I think you have seen the the baton pass to Mac Jones, and I think you have seen a little bit of a move in the team that maybe Mac Jones should be quarterback two behind Tua Tungvaluwa. Yeah, and that's huge because, uh, you know, I was uh, been criticized a little bit for saying that I thought that the gap between one and two was bigger than the one between two and three, but I think you saw that on Saturday. And nothing against Jalen Hurts. I mean, he, he's been a good football player for Alabama, but, you know, he, he's just reached his ceiling 
uh, with this particular program. I think he can go somewhere else uh, and maximize what he has. And and if I were he and his father, and uh, you know, with what uh, came out, uh, we talked about that. That was unfortunate that his dad kind of let that cat out of the bag. I thought it put some pressure on Jay and I, and really probably led to some of his struggles on Saturday. But he just seems to have lost his mojo. And I think if I were him, I, I you know. I don't. I don't see him, you know, sitting out as a red shirt and then graduate transferring with two years left. I mean, he certainly could do that, but I think uh, probably what he needs to do, the better path would be to graduate. Excuse me, to transfer at the end of this month, which I think is what's going to happen before the summer. Uh, find a new place, red shirt. You know, get his. You know, get his mind right, get his mojo back, and then at his new place, try to win that quarterback job uh, next spring into the fall and. And then even if he doesn't, he maximizes things. He, he could graduate from the new institution that he goes to and even uh, go to a third school. And speaking of that, we've already seen that from Blake Barnett, who was you know a flop at Alabama. Let's just be, be real with it. He never lived up to the five-star status. He, and he now is a true bust because he went to Arizona State and in really a year and a half uh, through five passes – and is now graduate transferring. He did the job in the classroom. Always was a good student, good young man. We had him on our show here uh, on multiple occasions. Great kid from a great family. Uh, but from a standpoint of on the field, he never lived up to it. And now he's visiting Southern South Florida this weekend, Charlie Strong's program. Well, you know, good luck to him in his third place. But, uh, you know, at this point, I wouldn't expect too much out of Blake Barnett. I mean, maybe he'll rewrite the ending. But uh, if I'm Dylan Hurts, though, he, he can he'll have a lot of suitors. He'll have a chance to restart his career, maybe somewhere where he fits better with what they're doing offensively at Alabama. But the, Alabama's offense has gone back to the, the pro-style principles, the uh, NFL uh, you know, uh, style of attack, and that just doesn't fit Jalen Hurts. And he's got a chance now, I think, to you know, find a place to go. And Alabama only have two scholarship quarterbacks. It's going to be tough to you know, find a grad transfer like a Gardner Minshew, which is what they were trying to do before he went to Washington State. But – uh, you know, certainly they, they need to put a premium on keeping Tua healthy and Mac Jones because that's going to be your two options. But if you're Alabama, I think the one thing you do take from it is we haven't seen Mac with the ones yet, and I think he could do the job with how much he's improved. So hopefully uh, the, the track record of Nick Saban keeping his uh, quarterbacks healthy is going to continue. But I just really look for Jalen Hurts to move on soon and uh, you know, and, re- and restart his career, and he did a lot for Alabama. Got himself a national championship ring, got an SEC ring last year. So he did. He's had a heck of a run, but it's just probably better for him and the University of Alabama for him to move on and uh, restart his career. Well, you know, Drew, that, that, that's a <clears throat> excuse me, a real interesting point of view, and you know, th- there's been no bigger. Um, Jalen Hurts fan than me. Um, so, you know, the reason I'm talking about what I am is, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the career track that I took, um, you know, made, made uh, uh, all SEC freshmen, you know, some people whispered uh, freshman All-American uh, year two, uh, second team All-SEC. And, and then, then, you know, the, the shit went off the rails, but, you know, same thing. Um, Jalen hurts. Um, you know, maybe we have to talk about a little bit that, 
Lane Kiffin did a really good job of, you know, protecting what he was, um, you know, putting plays in that he was capable of completing because, you know, what we saw out of Jalen Hurts in 2016 is not the same thing that we saw last year and what we saw in the 8A game. Um, it, it, it's, it's kind of baffled me a little bit um, because of that. But at the same time, um, you have Tua Tungavailoa, you have Mac Jones. You know, now Nick Saban has brought in, in my opinion, the best uh, quarterback coach and maybe one of the top uh offensive coordinators in college football and Dan Enos. And if what we saw last Saturday live in uh, the A-Day game was, you know, kind of the, you know, end of, you know, compilation of what Jalen Hurts is capable of doing, man, you know, that ain't going to fly. And I think that You've seen some numerous opinions from uh, teammates with Alabama, um, you know, talking about, you know, how good Mac Jones looked. Um, you know, maybe this guy should be the, the second team guy. Um, you know, I, I just don't know how this thing's going to play out. I do think that, you know, things have gotten ugly with, you know, the Hurts family. Um, with Jalen, and, you know, maybe, you know, once the spring semester is over with, you might see him transfer out. I would have never have thought that this was a possibility. But looking at what has transpired, um, you know, I think you really have to start talking about um, in the next four weeks that, you know, Jalen Hurts might get gone. That's very true, William. No doubt about that, that we may uh, see the end of that, and that will play itself out. And uh, But at least Mac Jones has shown the improvement, I think, that will give some people confidence. There will still be nerves because, uh, of course, uh, Tua is recovering from injury, uh, and uh, Mac Jones will be the only other scholarship QB at this time. Uh, but I think uh, the, still his his uh, marked improvement is encouraging. Uh, and I even had a – I was on a show in St. Augustine, Florida on Monday, and uh, they, uh, you know, uh, they were – he, he the, the, the host was adamant with me uh, off the air that he thought uh, that uh, the Gators would take uh, Mac Jones right now. He thought after what he saw, and he, of course, he's close to the Gator program, and um, he's uh, seen their spring practice and their – the development of their quarterbacks, he thinks that uh, Mac Jones could start for Florida. So still not a not a bad situation for Alabama, but just a little bit of a tenuous one uh, due to the injury situation from Tua. So we didn't see much of Tua uh, during the spring, but obviously, you know, Jalen didn't take advantage of the opportunity, but Mac Jones certainly did, uh, and now uh, is positioned himself to perhaps be number two on the depth chart. And I think with Alabama's weapons, and William made a great point of. Mac wasn't really working with any of these guys that'll be in the game plan uh, for Louisville, but it, you know I still think if he was behind that first O line, uh, by the time they get it settled, and then with all those weapons Alabama's got, that Mac Jones uh, would be just fine. I mean, 
one of his best friends on the team, Damian Harris, was in the locker room after the game and really was touting Mac and said, you know, he's he's uh, he proved himself today uh, and showed everybody that he's going to be a factor on this team. So uh, I, I think everyone's looking forward to that. And you know, and William, uh, we we uh, I don't think anybody was surprised. The O line still a work in progress. Uh, Leatherwood continued to struggle, but they were blocking some monsters up front. A really good uh, first team D line, but that uh, offensive line that's going to be besides what happens with Jalen Hurts going forward. Uh, the other big story I think is going to be with you know Matt Womack coming back now from uh, foot surgery and shoulder surgery, where he's going to fit in and kind of where the uh, offensive line ends up. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the, where they, who they settle on. Because I thought it was interesting that uh, we saw uh, Josh Kasher going in pretty quickly uh, at left guard on Saturday. Well, let me say this. I mean, let's go back to uh, Jalen Hurts for a minute. Um, I, I've had uh, a couple of college football coaches tell me the same thing. Um, you know, Dan Mullen wants Jalen at – Florida, uh, Kevin Sumlin, which, you know, before Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban got involved, everybody thought that Jalen Hurts was going to have Texas A&M. But um, Dan Mullen wants Jalen at Florida, and Kevin Sumlin wants, you know, Jalen at uh, Arizona. And, you know, I I think um, it would be pretty uh, obvious to say that, you know, Lane Kiffin would want uh, Jalen down there at Florida Atlantic or wherever he's at. But to to talk about your point, um, I think what, what everybody needs to, you know, kind of take a chill pill about and, and look at is, you know, Tua Tungvaluwa is going to be the quarterback. Um, if you really want to get excited for you know, Alabama fans, let's look at a – uh, two running backs, uh, no tight end, three tight end set, and look at what Alabama's going to go into the game with Louisville in September. And you've got former five-star recruits, uh, Jonah Williams at left tackle, um, Jedrick Wills at right guard. There's two. Then you've got Tua Tungvaluwa at quarterback. Then um, two running back sets. Um, Damian Harris, former five star. Uh, Najee Harris at five star, and then you've got those three wide receivers: Devonta Smith, Jerry Judy, and uh, Henry Ruggs. How yes. are you going to stop this offense, Drew? How are you going to stop it? I really don't know. I especially with how special I think Tua Tagovailoa is. I don't know if you saw the reports today, William. I'm, I'm sure you probably did, but Trent Dilfer told, uh, you know, Saturday Down South that he thinks Alabama is going to be so loaded and Tua is so good that Tua might not lose a start in his career, which is uh, probably over, probably over the top. But uh, it is he's thinking along the same lines as you that Alabama, as he said, you know, they've never had a quarterback like Tua, but he goes they have running backs, they have tight ends. They have five stars all over the offensive line. Uh, you know, they have wide receivers. And that's not even counting Jalen Waddle yet, who, you know, I've, I've said this in ad nauseum. If he's not a five-star, then you need to just stop being in the business. But Alabama has got five stars all over the field. And uh, if with him distributing the football, this Alabama football team 
as long as he can stay healthy, is going to be very, very difficult to stop. Well, let's talk about that situation for a minute. Um, the Alabama coaching staff considers Jalen Waddle as the most explosive offensive player in the whole country last year in high school football, number one. Um, now, of course, that's going to get integrated into, um, you know, the Alabama football program. But let's go back to what is a proven commodity, and that's Jonah Williams at left tackle, Jedrick Wills at right guard, uh, Tua Tungavaloa at quarterback, uh, Damian Harris. Uh, then, then the second five-star at running back is Najee Harris. And then you've got Devonta Smith, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs. So, you know, I saw a little bit of a, a predictive amount um, for, for the 2018 season. And, you know, my, my thing has always been, um, you know, of course, you know, being an Alabama fan, I have to put, um, you know, the, 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 the uh, formation out there that's, you know, most productive to Alabama. And that's, uh, you know, two at quarterback, both Damian and Najee at, at running back, and then, you know, the two guys on the offensive line, and then the three five-star wide receivers. I don't know, Drew, if college football has ever seen what they could possibly put out there in, in an explosive manner. You know, we're still a long way away from Alabama versus Louisville, but there, there is a um, – option out there that I think is you know you know there 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 is a chance that they score so many points um in the first half of football um with what they have there to offer um it could get real ugly real quick for the rest of college football that are not Alabama fans uh, that's true. I mean, it's got a chance to be, I think, the best offense of the Nick Saban era, uh, the deepest group, uh, outstanding uh, skill position talent, uh, not even counting uh, the tight ends, which, I, I, you know, it's going to be Hale Hinches and Irv Smith, but Miller Forstall also played a little bit in the A-Day game, so it was good to see Miller back out there. Uh, that's going to be your top three, and then you still got Kedrick James and Major Tennyson, so, uh, you know, you've got five tight ends that I think they feel really good about, so they're very, very deep right now at pretty much all the positions. Just need to have, you know, Tua remain healthy and be and be ready to go. Uh, but this offense, I mean, they were missing a lot of pieces this spring, but you still saw enough explosiveness. Uh, we, uh, Henry Ruggs did enough good things. And then even a kid like Chadarius Townsend makes an explosive play, William, in the A-Day game. So uh, I don't – he and Xavion Marks probably aren't going to be big parts of the game plan, but at least you see these guys making plays. And I guess the only thing is, uh, defensively, I really like the starters. Uh, you know, I think uh, they need—they still need to develop depth. You've already made a point about talking about the twos struggling, but uh, Dylan Moses had 10 tackles. Uh, you know, uh, I thought Mac Wilson looked really good. Encouraging, though, that Markel Benton and Joshua McMillan played well because, uh, depending on Keith Holcomb, they need that depth. 
uh, at inside linebacker. And then outside linebacker is getting kind of ridiculous. I mean, they didn't have Anthony Jennings playing, but we saw Terrell Lewis. We saw Christian Miller. And then for the third straight time, Chris Allen really flashed. So they've got to feel good about the linebacker core going into fall. It's just, And now the secondary, I think Coach Saban feels good about the top six. He feels good about Trevon Diggs. He feels good about Savion Smith. He was solid. Um, you know, the two safeties, Xavier McKinney, uh, obviously is a good player. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, and, and uh, I think uh, Deontay Thompson is going to be a leader back there. And then Shyam Carter uh, and Jared Maiden. So he feels good about those guys. But we still don't know a ton about the secondary, though, because they didn't have to face uh, a quarterback like Tua. So going to really be interested to see how they progress going into this, uh, the fall. But as Coach Saban pointed out, you know, they're going to get the reinforcements. He, I think he believes out of Patrick Sertain Jr., Joshua Job, Eddie Smith, uh, and, uh, and Jalen Armour Davis, that they're going to need two of those four uh, to provide depth and play a role uh, as backups. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think the, uh, you know, the thing that, that really kind of, you know, comes full circle for Alabama fans is, you know, we, we have watched Nick Saban, um, you know, win four national championships with, you know, what most people would say was uh, game managers to quarterbacks. Um, those days are gone. Um, you know, you've got, you know, and I'm not even – you know, talking about what Trent Dilford did. Um, I, I really thought that he did a disservice to, uh, you know, Tua. Um, but we're talking about, you know, uh, the, the the things that he brings to the table. And, you know, you've got his brother that's already committed, you know, Paul Tyson that's already committed. But I think we're sitting here watching – um, Drew, what's fixing to happen um, with, you know, Tua Tungavaloa fixing to be the Alabama QB for, you know, in my opinion, the next three years. Um, then, then you've got the options of his brother and Paul Tyson being the guy after that. Um, when you start looking at the talent level that Alabama has, it is a big, big difference over the rest of college football. I think you're going to see, um, you know, again, we have to start talking about, um, you know, Nick Saban's level of commitment to the rest of college football, which I think is a seven to 10 year commitment. Um, we're in really arified air. Um, as far as what we're talking about, um, I think you're going to see um, Nick Saban win two to three more national championships in the next uh, three to seven years um, and see him change the footprint in college football for what national championship, uh, national championship teams mean. And, William, uh, I've got to ask you, I think there's definitely the, the opportunity for that to happen. The, after what we saw of this uh, defense uh, coming into uh, spring practice, and they lost a lot of talent and coaches. Uh, it's a revamped defensive staff. They lost a lot of talent. But once again, we saw Raekwon Davis. 
who not surprisingly won the Dwight Stevenson Award for lineman of the game. He had two sacks, was very disruptive. Um, we saw his Isaiah Bugs. We saw LeBron Ray with a couple sacks in the second half. Has this defense in your mind, after what you've saw, uh, both in a scrimmage situation and in a day, though we know it's a little bit skewed there, but is this defense ahead of where you thought it would be? Yes, I think it is. And I think Tosh LePoy is going to continue, um, you know, the same philosophy that Jeremy Pruitt brought, you know, back to Alabama, um, you know, in 2015 when he came back as the defensive coordinator. I think Tosh LePoy is going to um, blitz people, um, you know, do games, you know, on the inside with the inside linebackers you know, twisting, um, you know, the defensive ends twisting, um, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, we're talking about, you know, Drew, um, I'm interested to see what happens with this Tosh LePoy defense in 2018, but he's already shown some inclinations as to, you know, what he's willing to do and, He's got the horses, you know, uh, you know, the the D line is a little bit skinny. I mean, um, if the injury bug hits linebacker spot, um, it's a little bit skinny. Um, Certainly, you know, back there on the back end, um, they can't afford a lot of injuries. But if they can, you know, just hold par with what they've got on the front line, D line, linebackers, and, and, you know, DBs, uh, Tosh LaPoy will be the top star in college football, uh, you know, going forward. Um, He's going to have that opportunity presented to him. Um, Got, got some really good football players to dial up on his defense. Yes. And I agree. I think he's going to keep that, um, aggressive mindset that Jeremy Pruitt brought back instead of uh, third and Kirby, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Kirby was not the most aggressive guy, especially uh, on third downs, did not blitz nearly as much. And, of course, uh, we uh, see where that has gotten him. Of course, it got him the Georgia job, uh, but <laughs> he certainly didn't win a national championship up 13 to nothing. And, He's continued with his rhetoric. I think it's him and Jimbo uh, telling recruits that, uh, that that Nick Saban's not going to be long uh, for coaching and is going to retire. So uh, I think they're you know they're they're cutting their own throat because they do nothing but motivate Nick Saban, especially Kirby Smart, who has been an ingrate since he left and has not uh, you know uh, it's it's the old uh, it's the old uh, quote that I love uh, from the Sopranos and Tony Soprano. Uh, when he grabbed one of his guys around the neck who had been trying to swindle a friend of his and was ripping off customers in, in the, the restaurant that they frequented. And Tony told him, he said, look, you don't shit where you eat and you definitely don't shit where I eat. And that's what I've always thought about Kirby. And, you know, he would not be where he is without Coach Saban. I understand it's a business and he's trying to win and make a name for himself. I completely respect it, but there's certain ways you can go about it. And Kirby has been underhanded since he left Georgia. And, you know, now we, I, I saw today where an offensive lineman, a former four-star, is transferring out. So Kirby's going to have to start managing a roster. I'm going to be interested to see if he can do that. 
he's going to have his own quarterback controversy because, you know, uh, with uh, Justin Fields and Jake Fromm, Fromm should be the starter, but Fields is definitely going to be pushing to play. I'm going to be interested to see after all the promises he's made, you know, how that works out. So, I mean, I'm going to be really, 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 really fascinated to see the level that Georgia plays at because they lost some guys like Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle, uh, who were, you know, program guys too, who were great players, lost some seniors, Lorenzo Carters, some juniors like Roquan Smith, lost some really good players, and I want to see if they can replace them. They should they should certainly be talented enough, but I want to see if uh, they can handle the expectations of everybody coming at them. And now with Dan Mullen at Florida, what can he do there with, you know, a better personnel? You know, the second game of the year against uh, Will Muschamp, I mean, that's going to be kind of a dangerous game on the road for Georgia. So I just I want to see how Kirby handles everything and if they can – Handle being the hunted. Maybe they can, and he's going to be, you know, a big-time challenger to Nick Saban. But I still think that is yet to be decided. And uh, the old uh, uh, Ric Flairism, to be the man, you got to beat the man. Not sure yet Kirby is there. He he did surprise me last year, but going to be interested to see kind of uh, where he goes from here, no doubt about it. Uh, but William, I, I think we all should be encouraged, uh, you know, it's still going to be a competition with Austin Jones from Temple, but you had to really like what you saw out of Joseph Belovis Saturday. Uh, five out of seven, the two misses were just wide from, I think, 43 and 48 yards. He made some long kicks. So you had, you, you, had, you told everybody not to panic when he missed a few uh, in the second scrimmage. But, you know, I think uh, we, he, he uh, reverted back to what he did in the first one, which we, where he was four or five. Uh, I think uh, Mr. Belovis still has a chance to be a solid kicker. Yeah, I think we may have lost William. Uh, but uh, your Sorry thoughts, Thomas? We'll let you, uh, you, you uh, give your thoughts on uh, Joseph Belovis. Well, so the thing about Belovis is he did have a rough go, and that's unfortunate if you listen to what people said in scrimmages. The kicking wasn't very good. But how do you get back into the good graces of both the coaches and the fan base when the lights are brightest and – you can unequivocally say that the brightest lights of the spring were at A-Day, you perform. And more than anything, it's encouraging because the stuff he missed, as an Alabama fan or just as a person who enjoys math, I'm perfectly okay if you're not connecting from 48 and 49 and long kicks. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff from a real-world physics perspective that can go wrong with those kind of kicks. So if you're hitting those at a 50, 60, 70% clip, or even, that, that's not bad. So if, if he only, only evolves to the point where he is able to hit one out of, two out of three 40-plus-yard kicks, but he is money inside 40 yards... I will take that once a day and twice on Saturday, not twice on Sunday, twice on Saturday, because that's one of the few things they can get Alabama beat. I think with, as you and William both talked about, assuming Tua Tonglevailoa wins the job, which, again, we've said ad nauseum, I said on your program, you've said here talking about it, Jalen Hurts missed an opportunity this past Saturday that's unequivocal. But assuming Tua takes advantage of the opportunity, takes the job, you know, it's only going to take 
six points, maybe nine points and field goals. And suddenly it becomes an avalanche where Alabama's defense is going to be good. Absolutely unequivocal again. But, you know, if you're scoring every time the Alabama offense comes out, even if it's only three or, you know, you're getting a punt, but otherwise you're getting touchdown, a field goal. If you go touchdown, field goal, punt in three rotations with this team, you're probably going to win a national championship, Drew. So you have to feel real good about Joseph Bullivis based on what he did when the lights were brightest. And if he keeps going that way, you know, I don't know how often this is a thing. I don't have the stats in front of me, but you got to really give a hat tip to Jeff Banks. And maybe you talk about, and this this isn't how this award's decided, but I'd make this argument here because it's fun. Maybe you talk about Jeff Banks as a Broyles Award winner, given where we saw Bullivus, call it in the fall, to where he's gotten to now, and if he's able to continue along that track. I mean, that's that's some serious special teams chops, Drew. Well, yeah, and again, he was 4-5 or five, uh, in the first scrimmage. He struggled a little bit in the second from all reports, and then, uh, and then the, but he was 5 out of 7 and was co-MVP on Saturday. So, And he showed good leg strength. Uh, you know, so, and he kicked off and he did a pretty solid job. So, you know, it's not, you know, I think some people kind of got, uh, uh, with Joseph below us. I think they, uh, they probably, uh, you know, uh, uh, were panicking a little because of the past, but then you've got Austin Jones coming in. So it'll be a competition. You know, the cream's going to have to rise to the top. Uh, and then we saw what we had already heard in punting though, Thomas, uh, obviously, uh, all the punting was handled by Skylar DeLong. He averaged 36 to 40 yards, but you know I think he had a long of 45. Didn't get a lot of hang time. That's the where I, what I'm going to be watching closely going into the fall. Can Jeff Banks and Skylar DeLong, can they work on his drop, Thomas, to where he can turn it over a little bit more because they're going to need a little bit more hang time and probably three to five more yards on that average to feel pretty comfortable. But I still think it's possible. I wouldn't panic yet, but... I guess I would be more concerned about the punting than the place kicking right now. I would agree. Of the two, I think punting deserves a little bit more special mention in this discussion. But the thing that Skyler DeLong did do fairly well was directional kick. Good point. So, and I will say, and I know I said this on your show, and I'm just going to repeat it, you know, once more for emphasis, that Alabama fans, because of J.K. Scott, have had this kind of warped sense of what a really good punt is <laughs> true because, well, you know if if the Alabama offense stalled against a good defense you know it's they start at the 25 they go three and out J.K. Scott lines up to kick he kicks from about the 10 yard line you know whatever the the split is and it doesn't matter because he kicks it so long and so high that the other team's starting on the 25 if they're lucky. If he gets a good roll, they're starting inside the 10. And the reality is, unless you're an NFL-level punter, that's just not something that you get. You know, that's just mm-hmm. not a consistent thing. So I, I don't. I think it's unfair to say Skyler Long is going to come in and be J.K. Scott because, you know, J.K. Scott might be a later-round draft pick, this upcoming weekend when punters are very rarely drafted. He's yes. certainly going to make an NFL roster. That's that to me is completely unequivocal. I think he's going to go out and he's going to impress some folks, but that's neither here nor there to the discussion, except for the fact that 
I think Skylar DeLong has some very large shoes to fill. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it even, you know, a couple of years down the road. But more than anything, I liked that he could directional kick. I think if it comes into the fact that he's not going to be able to sky the punt into the, you know, the exosphere and it's going to be a 60-yard missile, even if you can only kick it 35, 40, maybe 42 yards before it rolls, but he kicks it out of bounds or something like that or kicks it to the side of the field, that's winning for the Alabama kicking game. Now, again, if you want to, you know, kind of have, have chicken little one of the two programs, yes, the punting is worse than the kicking given what we've seen in limited in limited repetitions. But I don't think either of them would be considered, and I'm putting air quotes around this, bad for most reasonable Alabama fans. Yeah, you know, and here's the ironic part. I was just sent an article where Saturday Down South brought up We've been talking about quarterback and Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavaloa wondering if Blake Barnett would consider coming back if Jalen Hurts transferred. Uh, you know, it, that's so ironic and so funny. But, you know, uh, Blake still has two years of eligibility remaining. Uh, he still wants to be a starter. Uh, and maybe he can f- find a place like USF where that can happen. But I do think uh, that it's funny. That five-star stuff is long gone and, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I do buy the fact that maybe um, Dan Mullen and uh, and even uh, those guys at LSU with uh, Coach Ogeron, uh, I, I think one of those two schools would probably take Jalen Hurts as their starter right now. But I'm not so sure they would with Blake Barnett, considering that he's only thrown five passes in his career and has never been consistent. But I just think it's a kind of ironic that. He's on the move to his third school, and, and now Jalen Hurts could be on the move as well. I mean, uh, after that, uh, the, so much was made of that battle. But I think it also shows how good Tua can be, uh, and I think everybody can see the writing on the wall. Uh, they just need him to be healthy. But uh, with Tua there and then with Mac Jones, I think Mac is a very capable backup. Uh, I think they can win with him. And then you've got two uh, good young players coming in, and Talia Tungavailoa. Also, uh, you've got uh, the, uh, Paul Tyson coming in. Of course, that's another can of worms because he's the great-grandson of Bear Bryant. But certainly, you've got those two young quarterbacks coming in. So it's going to be interesting. I, I think Alabama has a chance. Thomas, uh, should uh, Joseph Belovis uh, and Austin Jones, uh, I think if they have a, a spirited battle, but you know they can. But one of them ends up being a solid kicker. If DeLong, you just mentioned, if he improves, and he's not going to be J.K. Scott, but if he can just be solid. And, and Thomas, I don't think we really even talked about this, but uh, DeLong may not be punting too much with this offense. That That's absolutely right, Drew. And, you know, going back to the, I just want to touch on Blake Barnett and Jalen Hurts and, and kind of look at the secondary factors there. Blake Barnett only tr- only transferred when he realized that he w- did not have a chance to be a, the starting quarterback for Alabama. Right now, now do you do you sort of bash the guy because of the way he left? I, you know, I'm not going to bash a kid for chasing his dream. I'm certainly not going to be cheering for him. But if you look at the programs that he has left in both cases, Nick Saban is kind of a hard ass. He's very demanding. Herm Edwards who's now at Arizona State, kind of a hard ass, kind of has that reputation. He is 
unfortunately said he's going to cut players but keep them on scholarship, which I'm sure there's a compliance director that's pulling his hair out as he hears these (laughs) things. But, you know, you talk about Jalen Hurts potentially transferring at the end of May. And, you know, that was one of the things that was brought up. Right. The reason Jalen Hurts does that is if he knows unequivocally that he has lost the quarterback competition. Mm-hmm. And to follow on your point being very excited, I know you've been excited publicly about Tua Tonga-Vailoa, but to follow on knowing how good Tua is, Tua Tonga-Vailoa just beat a 26-2 and guy for the starting quarterback job when his hand was screwed up for the vast majority of the spring. So, you know, if that's the case, if Tua Tonga-Vailoa with a bum hand is able to move this offense more efficiently than Jalen Hurts and ostensibly more efficiently than Mac Jones, but we didn't get to see Mac Jones go ones-on-ones this past weekend or ever uh, that's been publicly viewed, that's a pretty good spot to be in. And it kind of goes into the scholar to long directional kicking thing. It's one thing to get the ball on the five-yard line, go four and out or go three and out, and then the punter is kicking from with his heels on the end zone, back of the end zone, and he's got to kick it to the 30. It is quite another to be kicking a punt from either the the opposing team's 40 or your 40-yard line because you have a little more play and you can get away with shorter kicks but are coffin corners. So, you know, if Jalen Hurts decides to leave, I wish the young man the best. He did some great things for the Crimson Tide. And if, if the, no other reason than... This one instance, the way he acted after the Georgia game, like, I will probably show that to my future children to be like, this is what happens when you get punched in the mouth, really disappointed, and then someone sticks a microphone in your face. If for no other reason than that sequence, Alabama fans should not only tip their hat, but be extraordinarily thankful for Jalen Hurts and except if he were to play against the Alabama Crimson Tide in either an SEC game or a college football playoff game, cheer for the young man. That, that would be my, my message to the fan base, such as it were, Drew. And, Thomas, we've got some breaking news into BAMS radio. As uh, this is the day before the NFL draft, but this could have a huge impact on the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, reported by Matt Burroughs, beat writer for the Sacramento Bee, who covers the Niners. The girlfriend of Reuben Foster says she lied. 49ers linebacker did not injure her. So, uh, you know, it looks like Reuben Foster, uh, for lack of a better term, he may have uh, gotten a huge break. Uh, a lot of people thought he was headed for a lengthy suspension, still may be, and that his days at the 49ers might be over. But goes to show you, sometimes you have to let the legal process play out and uh, hopefully there's uh, Ruben has learned that, you know, you go to bed with dogs, you wake up with fleas and, and needs to, you know, uh, you know, just really watch who he's associating with. But some very interesting news coming out about Ruben Foster tonight. Um, that is nothing short of career saving. Uh, you know, let, let's just call a spade a spade. John Lynch already said, should Ruben Foster be convicted of hitting a woman, he would have cut him. And, you know, a guy who looked good as a rookie, he might get on at a team. He'll probably get signed, but he's not going to be – he's not. He's going to have to struggle to get back. This change – well, 
I could kind of soapbox about this kind of thing because this is now the second player involved at Alabama that has been taken down at least a couple of pegs by somebody lying about domestic violence. And it is my hope as a third-party observer that all the uh, the white knights out there that clutched their pearls over Ruin Foster being a jerk will now crucify this young lady upside down because it not only minimizes true domestic violence, it demonizes a kid that his only offense as of right now, if she said she's lying, is he had an assault weapon, which I don't consider that that bad a crime personally. So, you know, like I say, career saving for Ruben and wow the girlfriend. Like, just wow. That, that... If it weren't such a bad look, I would think that's legally actionable as um, a multitude of sins. But anyway, good on Ruben. And that will actually change some things, Drew, talking about the NFL draft. Because one of the mock drafts, if you read through mock drafts, with Ruben's issues, you've seen the San Francisco 49ers potentially mock to take Roquan Smith. Well, I can tell you the San Francisco 49ers draft room is now in full-on scramble mode because they'll probably have Ruben Foster going forward. And because of that, you know, if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at seven take Derwin James over Minka Fitzpatrick, suddenly Minka Fitzpatrick is very much in play for at nine to the San Francisco 49ers. I'll so, say this. Yeah, I, I pardon me for interrupting. No, no, no. Go ahead. Absolutely. But, I don't mean but, a soapbox. But, I'm sorry. But John Lynch is one of my favorite players of all time. I used to have him as picture on my wall. I believe he's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best, you know, uh, football players, uh, pure football players I've ever had the privilege of watching. If he does not draft Minka Fitzpatrick at nine, if he's there, he should fire himself. Because Minka is a, in my opinion, is a future Hall of Famer and will continue to help transform their defense. They should consider themselves lucky if Minka is still there. Quite frankly, because I know these idiot organizations are all going to overreact, and they're going to have you know four quarterbacks go in the top five, and two or three of them will be busts, and these teams will be drafting high again uh, for the you know in, in another uh, you know really probably throughout the process, but within two to three years, um, you know I, I think Minka should be a top five pick. That's probably not going to happen, but if Indianapolis and Tampa Bay pass on him then somebody like the 49ers needs to jump on Minka Fitzpatrick because John Lynch is a defensive guy. He's already got his quarterback in Jimmy G, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, long-term contract. The way they finished their season last year, Thomas, you know how good the 49ers played down the stretch. If they get somebody like Minka Fitzpatrick, they could be like the Rams were a year ago and all of a sudden catch fire uh, and then be a, a, a team that, uh, you know, as a playoff team next year. Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, here's the thing. I look at a lot of the discussions surrounding the Tampa Bay Buccaneers pick at seven. And if you flash back to two months ago, it was Minka Fitzpatrick at seven, Minka Fitzpatrick at seven, Minka Fitzpatrick at seven, Minka Fitzpatrick at seven. And now it's like, Derwin James, who is a fantastic football player and deserves a ton of credit, has just come out of proverbial nowhere, and Minka Fitzpatrick's falling because of it. And uh, sure, whatever, fine. I, it, it is your evaluation process is different than the mock drafters, but 
I'd have to agree. You know, when's the last time? Show me the last time that you heard a problem come out about Minka Fitzpatrick. Never. Exactly. Minka Fitzpatrick will show up to your NFL team facility the second he's allowed to because there's some uh, some collective bargaining agreement stipulations. And he will be on the field working. He will be next to coaches asking questions. And he will be an absolute monster against some really good quarterbacks, whether he would go to the 49ers at 9 or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 7. That's not to say that Derwin James is not that. Uh, based on some reports that I remember hearing leading up to the Alabama FSU game at the start of last season, Derwin James, due to his injury, kind of got real, real deep into labbing himself and understanding what's going on. But I'm sorry, when a guy like Nick Saban, you know, the guru of defensive backs, he's got a mountain of first-round defensive backs, whether they flamed out or are still effective in the National Football League, when guys that say Minka Fitzpatrick's a little bit different, saying a little bit different, i.e., better or different than anything we've had to deal with in a good way. If I'm an NFL guy, I stand up and take notice of something like that. Yeah, you're supposed to be in the back pocket of your players and pushing them forward and helping them out, but Nick Saban has never been one given to hyperbole, and for he or anyone around him to say something like that is about as good an endorsement as you'll ever get out of Nick. So I... If John, I agree with you. If Minka Fitzpatrick gets out of the top 10, and I saw a mock draft that had him going 23 to Bill Belichick, let me oh. put it to you this way. Let me put it to you this way. If he's at 23, Bill Belichick will reinvent the universal time constant to get the pick in faster. Like, I mean, if they let Minka Fitzpatrick <laughs> go to New England, you deserve to watch the Patriots continue to win Super Bowls if you're that stupid. And then and your rationale is... Well, we don't know quite what position he can play. First of all, he's going to be a safety, in my opinion, and be one of the all-time greats. But he can play the nickel. He can play corner in some situations. Actually, being versatile should uh, be something uh, that uh, that is a strength. But he's going to be a great player. He's, uh, he's really the biggest can't-miss in the draft. I know a lot of people love Quentin Nelson in Notre Dame, the guard. I mean, I... I've talked to I've heard two draft I talked to one draft expert today and then heard another one and both of them have him the number one player in the draft even though he's he's going to go somewhere in the top ten maybe top five but not number one but Minka is at least defensively is a slam dunk and you know I and personally I think that Rashawn Evans should be in the twenty to thirty range in the first round obviously Deron Payne is going to be a top fifteen pick in my opinion. Calvin Ridley in the top 20. So I think Alabama is going to have four first rounders. And I think somebody's going to get a, get a steal in Ronnie Harrison too, because I think Ronnie is a first round talent, Thomas, uh, and should be the fifth first rounder, uh, but may not go down there near the end of the first round though. Uh, I think Ronnie is another one that Bill Belichick could steal uh, at the end of uh, round one too. Well, okay. I'm not as wild about Ronnie Harrison. Uh, I, I actually, I would. I think he's a day two pick, but in terms of the other guys you you outlined, the ones I'd really focus on. I don't think Ron or Rashawn Evans gets past Pittsburgh at twenty eight, and that pick really hinges on what the Steelers think if Ryan Shazier, who had the unfortunate neck injury, can ever come back from said neck injury. 
because Rashawn Evans and Shazier have very similar games, but I, I don't think Harrison gets past there. If you ask me about Calvin Ridley, you know, Calvin Ridley's in a weird spot. He was the consensus best wide receiver, and since the consensus, the consensus has become quite not so much a consensus, and DJ Moore from Maryland has gotten some play, and Cortland Sutton, who had gotten some second-round consideration from SMU, have come and kind of bubbled up to the surface because Calvin Ridley didn't you know rock the combine with his 40 time and all those shenanigans I don't think Ridley should get past Dallas at 19 unless something crazy happens ahead of that and then in terms of Duran Payne the other probably probable the probable first rounder I apologize I've seen him mocked anywhere from the Redskins at 13 he'd be playing next to uh, Jonathan Allen to and this is where Alabama fans can really start having some fun Right. To the Falcons at 26, where uh, he'd play next to a bunch of really young, really good players, or the Lions at 20 to play next to well, Ashawn Robinson. I don't think he'll be there at 26. I think Atlanta would have to trade up to get Payne. Yeah. And if they did, I would love it because I think he would help transform their defensive front. Uh, I would, I would personally love that pick for the Atlanta Falcons. I think offensively, uh, they may need to upgrade a little bit on the O line, but I think they're in good shape on offense and they could still maybe upgrade the O line later in the draft. But I think Deron Payne could would be a perfect fit for them. And and I think he's an underrated pass rusher too. I think he could be an instant impact defensive lineman and uh, really help Vic Beasley, really help that whole group, as you said, uh that uh the Jarrett, all those guys. I think uh they uh, uh they I think uh, they, the the Falcons it would be a home run. Uh, again, I think they would probably have to trade up but they traded up for Julio. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, in the draft. And the draft is tomorrow. The first round is at 7 o'clock. So, we're all going to be watching. That's why our BAMS Radio uh, uh, spring practice and A-Day look back uh, has been tonight. Uh, when we get when we're back with William Redfish Barger next week, we'll do our grades. It'll, we'll, we'll let that marinate a little bit, and we'll grade each position after spring practice. Uh, we'll do that later. But we wanted to take a look at the draft and where the Alabama guys may go. Uh, and then uh, we also wanted to take a look back just at the A-Day game itself and talk about those, uh, what we saw, especially uh, the struggles of Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones, and how he played, and, it, you know, if the defense was ahead and the kicking game. Uh, but it's been a great edition of BAMS Radio tonight. I want to thank William Barger, who was with oh, us earlier. Drew, let me, let me uh, jump also, in real quick. Yeah, and, and, and Thomas, but let Tom, Thomas, what are your thoughts as we end well, just, this program? Just one more thing, Alabama fans, to kind of feather in the cap. Keep an eye on the Alabama secondary as a unit. Should the entire Alabama starting secondary from this past season, that's Minka Fitzpatrick, Ronnie Harrison, Anthony Averett, Tony Brown, and Levi Wallace. That's starters in nickel. And Hootie Jones. Oh, and Hootie Jones. I'm sorry. I I knew I forgot somebody. I apologize. If five five DBs get drafted, any of that group, you know, whether you think Hootie Jones or, or Levi Wallace, whoever, if all of those guys hear their name called throughout the seven rounds of the draft, that will set a draft record. Five guys from the same secondary drafted in the same year. So kind of something fun if you're bored over the weekend watching the draft. If that happens, Alabama sets another draft record. But anyway, Drew, I just had to had to get that out there for all the sort of random factoid stats nuts that exist on the interwebs. Well, I, I do think at least five of them will. I, I don't think there's any doubt. I think Avery can go the second day. Uh, Levi Wallace, second day or early third. 
Um, certainly, uh, I, I'm hearing Tony Brown fourth or fifth round. So I think at least five of them will be drafted. Uh, we'll see. Hootie Jones has been injured, hasn't had been, a, you know, hadn't had a chance to do a whole lot. Uh, I know. I think he did have. Uh, you know, he was at pro day and he tried to work out. Not sure he will be drafted, but I'm sure he would get an opportunity as an undrafted free agent since he played in Nick Saban's scheme. So, uh, and I thought Nick Saban was very complimentary of the year he thought Hootie Jones had up until, and I thought he had his best year until unfortunately he got injured in the uh, Iron Bowl, but and wasn't there for the playoff. But it allowed Deontay Thompson uh, to take some much needed rest. But yeah, that would be uh, amazing to see five or six of those guys, uh, you know, do that. I think uh, all those top five we just talked about, all of them were at the Combine. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that's amazing and uh, a true feather in the cap of Nick Saban and what he's been able to build at Alabama. And then it's going to be fascinating to watch them fill those holes, and we'll talk more about that next week on BAMS Radio. But we want to thank everybody for listening tonight. Great job by Thomas Watson, as always, uh, you know, producing behind the curtain and giving us some commentary great takes and then uh, we enjoyed our time with William Redfish Barger I'm your host Drew Armand. enjoy the rest of your evening enjoy the NFL draft Thursday Friday and Saturday and we'll come to you next week everybody have a great night and roll tide